FOMO. My name's Patrick McGinnis, and I'll admit it, I have FOMO. And since you're here, I'm going to bet that you do too. But that doesn't have to be a bad thing. If you learn to channel your FOMO productively, you can make the most of every opportunity while keeping your sanity in the process. This is FOMO Sapiens After Hours, the snackable show about how you can make FOMO a force for good. Hey, everybody, welcome back to After Hours. It's Monday. Hope your week is getting off to a good start. I want to start the week in one of my favorite ways, which is with some listener mail. Here we go. Hey, Patrick, Brett McGinnis from uh, Malvern, New York. My question for you is for someone who advises earlier stage startups that are seeking funding, what are the two or three most important answers to questions that they'll be asked when they're pitching to VCs that I should ensure are drilled into those founders' heads? Thanks. First of all, I want to thank you, Brett, for writing. Now, Brett reached out and, I mean, his last name is McGinnis. He spells it wrong or he spells it differently. Brett has a bunch of extra letters in there. There's a couple of E's and S's that I don't have to deal with. But I really appreciated this question. And Brett's currently getting his master's degree in finance at Georgetown, which is my alma mater. So I just hope you take advantage of that opportunity. I'm sure you will. Now let's get to your question because it's a really good question. And I know, Brett, you're interested in becoming a venture capitalist. So people who are listening that are hiring, reach out to Brett. He asks a question that is so critical. It's, it's really about, he works with startups, right? And so startups go out and they pitch investors trying to raise money. And a lot of times, you know, I've talked about this before on the show, it's when you ask for money, you get advice. When you ask for advice, you get money, which is very ironic, right? But there is a psychology to it. When you show up in somebody's office, even if it's their job to invest in your company, or at least a company, the minute you start asking for money, people put their guard up, right? They're sort of like, oh, you're asking me for something. And so asking for advice is really valuable because you get the benefit of learning what they want and what they like and building a relationship without putting them on the hot seat. And then later on, what tends to happen is if they like you, they will come back to you because it's their job. It's their job to find great companies. But in order to impress them, of course, you got to be ready to ask and answer the right questions. So I want to get into the three things that you need to be able to answer well. And then I want to give you one thing that you need to ask because it's a two-way street. And if you ask smart questions, it's better than I would say, at least as good as uh, uh, answering questions in a smart way. So let's start with the three whys. The three whys are the three questions that a VC should ask you and that you should be prepared to answer yourself or in the case of Brett, help a company be ready to answer in a very succinct, pithy, detailed um, and I don't mean detailed in terms of going on forever, but, you know, really get into the facts sort of way. Okay, so the three whys are why you, meaning why are you running this company? Why me, meaning why have you come to me to ask me for advice slash investment? And number three is why now? So let's get started. Let's start with why you. So to me, the question why you is really, if you kind of get a little deeper, the question is why are you the right person to start this business? Why would I believe that of all the people that could waltz into my office that you are well positioned for success? And so that is a combination of having the right people on the team, having done the homework to substantiate the thesis in the market, and being able to put all together in a package that makes it kind of almost like inevitable that you're going to be successful. And I'll give you a really good example from my own career of somebody who answered that question in a really clever, 
very impactful way and it's had a lot of success. So I invested in a company called Ipsy uh, about eight years ago now. Ipsy uh, has gone on to become, I, I believe it's the second largest subscription service in the world. They, it's a subscription service for cosmetics, but it's many other things beyond that. It really is a, it's a company about providing customized beauty solutions to people uh, from all kinds of different backgrounds and creating a community around that and then doing events and and it's fantastic. And this company was started by my friend Marcelo. And Marcelo Camberos, who I wrote about a whole chapter really on him in The 10% Entrepreneur, he had been working in the video space. In fact, he and I had had a little company together. I had worked with him um, on this company called Real Influence, which was which was amazing, a lot of fun. It was just our little our little experiment. And he, it was really his idea, but I, I helped him out a bit. And that was one of my first startup experiences. And so after that, what he learned in that process was that the video space, YouTube, growing quickly and that there were opportunities in beauty on that space. And then he went out and met a woman called Michelle Fan, and Michelle Fan was one of the leading beauty influencers at the time. And so he paired up with her to start this company called Ipsy, which originally was called My Glam, by the way, a little uh, a little trivia for the uh, people who maybe know Ipsy. Uh, that was the first name. And when they went to see investors, it was a very powerful combination. The why you was really clear. Marcelo had startup experience. He had been a venture capitalist, but more importantly, he really understood video because he had worked at Funny or Die. He had worked doing this influencer marketing stuff at Real Influence, which was sort of his experiment. He had been building a, a sort of a beta product of this with an engineer. And so he really had the sort of the business case down about why YouTube celebrities could become very powerful salespeople for cosmetics. And then you have Michelle Fan, who at the time was the leading influencer in the beauty space, had a huge following already, millions and millions of views and very successful videos and a big community. And so having Michelle involved, she really understood the message, the editorial, the user, and that combo of the two of them was extraordinarily powerful. And that's why they were able to raise money early on because they could answer why you very, very impactfully. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. Next, let's get to why me. So one thing, <laughs> I mean, you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about LinkedIn cold calls. So I get LinkedIn cold calls all the time and people are so kind as to reach out to me and not follow any of the rules that I just gave on that episode. So I'm sure some of you get those as well. And a lot of times it's somebody who cold calls me asking me to invest in their company. And by the way, I appreciate the fact that people are making the effort because I know how hard it is. So I don't, I don't want to pick on anybody because it's so hard to raise money. And so a lot of love for the founders trying to raise capital, but a lot of times they'll say, you know, I want to have you invest in my company because you're, you're, you've invested in other companies in this, in this space. And I say, 
I read it, it's sort of like, no, I haven't. You clearly have done your research. Or I did one company seven years ago in that in that industry. And so as a result, it's it doesn't make sense for me. It's if you do a little research on what I've invested in, it becomes pretty clear that there are certain companies that would make sense for me and others that would not. And that's like any investor. You can go when you when you're looking to raise money for a company. You can simply go to the websites of all the VC firms. It shows who invested in what company, which companies they're on the boards of, and they're the best people to approach because they really understand the space and they can give you a quick answer about whether they want to meet with you or not. And, and so that is super important, knowing that the person who is raising money or seeking advice has done the research to know that it makes sense for me to be involved or it doesn't, that's really important because even if you're doing angel investing and it's not sort of a, a institutionalized venture capital company, knowing that the person understands the industry and can add value, that's so critical because what we don't want, you know, there's this expression of early stage capital that they say it comes from family, friends, and fools. Oh, you don't want a fool involved in your company. You don't want somebody who wrote a check and didn't understand what they were doing. No, because then they're just not prepared to be able to deal with things if they don't go well, they can't really add value. So make sure that you can answer the question, you know, why have you come to me today? Why would you think that I might be a good investor in your company? And finally, why now? And this is about two things. It's about traction. It's about product market fit, okay? So traction is really, you know, where, where you've gotten so far. Have you have you got anybody trying out your product? Are you getting feedback? Are you learning? Are you seeing some demand? Have you been making money? That's really important. Some people want more of that. Some people are not as bothered. They're willing to go earlier, but you need to know what kind of investor you're dealing with and then be able to tell exactly what's going on. And it's critical to not just focus on the vanity metrics. And if you haven't read the Lean Startup, vanity metrics are like things that don't really mean anything. Like, oh, we got thousand signups, but you know, none of those people actually have tried to use the product, even though you've given it to them and, and asked them to use it. That doesn't mean anything. So you, you want people more than just sort of numbers that look pretty on paper, but that really mean something. Second thing is product market fit. And this is so critical because you can have the best idea in the world, but if you haven't figured out whether the market wants this product and if there's a fit between this product and demand in the market, that's really important. And so, for example, if you haven't tested out the product to make sure that people actually like it and can show that there is data to support it, then you haven't achieved product market fit. It may not be perfect and it's not going to be perfect. You're going to be making many, many changes in the future. But that initial consideration is so critical to getting things right. Now, some people are going to say, well, Patrick, you missed the very obvious one, which is size of the market, what they call TAM or total addressable market. That is the classic one because it's, all, it's always the question that, that VCs like to dig into. It's sort of like the first question they ask, well, how big is the market? And it's important, don't get me wrong, but it's also, listen, there are plenty of companies that say they have a $5 billion market and the reality is they'll never get even a little tiny baby fraction of that. And there are plenty of companies that are going after what we call a niche market or a smaller market that's not that big, but if they can do well, they'll be very successful. So yeah, you wanna have thought about this, but I find it, it's actually interesting. VCs, when they turn down companies, usually they'll do it because they'll say, well, you know, and their feedback, they'll say, you know, I just don't think the market's big enough. To me, that's kind of a lazy response. It's like, I don't really wanna tell you what I think, so I'm just gonna give you something that you can you can sort of like, you can't really disagree with and nobody feels heard. I'm not going to tell you that you're not a good entrepreneur. I'm not going to insult your idea. I'm just going to say the market's not big enough and then we can all just move on with our lives. I, I think it's a little lazy. I don't like to do that. And finally, what questions should you ask a VC? To me, the one you really want to understand is why are you different? 
how do you differentiate yourself? Because there's a lot of capital out there. I mean, when you're raising money and it's hard, you think, oh, there's no money anywhere, but there is a lot of money. And so understanding how VCs work with the companies in which they invest. And they're all different, by the way. I mean, they're gonna all tell you kind of the same thing, but digging in and asking them for examples, that's really critical. Because then later on, if you decide that you maybe wanna take their money, you can do reference calls and verify whether they did it or not. And guess what? You'll learn some very interesting things. So those are my views on how to prepare a company for raising money. I'm sure some of you have ideas of your own. Feel free to reach out. Let's connect to patrickmcginnis.com. Find me on Instagram at patrickjmcginnis or on Twitter at pjmcginnis. I love hearing your ideas and your questions. So thanks, Brett. And if you have a question, reach out and we will maybe answer it on a future episode of After Hours. FOMO. Want more of FOMO Sapiens and After Hours? Head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis and on Twitter at PJ McGinnis.